Hey guys, Jack here, recording from Rio in Las Vegas. We're a couple thousand miles farther west, a couple thousand dollars richer than our last episode. Uh, and we're just here to say thank you for tuning in. Remember to head to JustHandsPoker.com for more great content of all sorts. We'll see you there, and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, Zach. Hello, Jack. Man, normally it's notable when we are recording together, um, but today I think it's even more notable that we are not together. Uh, a quick interruption from the Just Hands Across America road trip. Zach has jetted back to New York on business. I'm stuck here in beautiful Florida uh, <laughs> playing some amazing cash games. Uh, but we've been reunited uh, for the next hour or so uh, on the account of our fantastic podcast guest today. Zach, would you give him a proper introduction? Yes. Uh, today we have uh, here a man that truly needs no introduction, a seminal American poker player and poker educator, Jonathan Little. Hello. I'm happy to be here today. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure. It's our pleasure. Uh, so as we do here, uh, we hear you have a hand that you'd like to discuss. Oh, yes. A fun hand from, well, in Florida. I played it about, I guess, two weeks ago. This was um, in the $15,000 buy-in World Poker Tour Tournament of Champions. So mm-hmm. we were roughly on the bubble. There were 11 people remaining. Nine people got in the money. And it was a big in-the-money jump. So I, the buy-in was 15000 and I think in-the-money was something like 37000 so much larger than normal. And that's often the case in small fielded events. I'm not really sure why they do that, but that is often how it works out. So um, whenever we got down to maybe 18 people. I was doing well enough. I had maybe 1.5 times average, but I lost a few pots. And now I was down to about half of average, which was, I believe, 19 big blinds. Okay. Okay. So I'm in the big blind. And I think we're playing 4,000, 8,000 with a 1,000 ante. And I believe we must be six-handed at our table. And this guy who I did not know, obviously everyone in the tournament is a World Poker Tour champion, but this guy, he was maybe 30 years old, seemed competent, seemed good, obviously, and he was generally on the tight side, not, not too crazy, but at the same time, he, you know, if you're a World Poker Tour champion with an average stack in this tournament, you're clearly, clearly going to be opening some hands. So he made it 18,000 from the cutoff, and it's worth noting that the player on the button is generally kind of tight. The player in the small blind is very loose and aggressive, but he's also aware that this guy is playing somewhat snug, so he may not get out of line, and I was in the big blind. And I think this player was probably, uh, the initial opener was probably a little bit tight because of me in the big blind and the player in the small blind both being capable yeah. of getting after it a bit. So um, that's worth mentioning. Anyway, he made it 18,000, and I had jack five of clubs in the big blind with a 19 big blind stack. So given, so the problem here is that I think calling is going to be right almost all the time in non-bubble situations. But given we're on the bubble, folding could be okay. The problem is is that I am one of the shorter stacks. And I don't really see anyone just like giving away their stack on the bubble here. So I am going to need to do something eventually to try to get a hold of some chips. And getting four to one pot odds or whatever it is, I think calling's probably fine. I, I don't want to shove with this hand versus this player because he's going to call a ton, given I assumed his initial opening range was reasonably strong. How do you guys feel about this? Yeah, I think you make a really nice point about why this is a little bit of a different situation than your sort of standard 2017, like we're going to flat, you know, anything remotely playable on the button 
or sorry, in the big blind. Uh, and this is a little bit of a different situation, but yeah, six-handed where everyone's kind of, you know, biting their nails until you bust out. I think this is a good spot to defend. Uh, you're probably, ICM complicates things, but I think from a pure chip EV standpoint, this is going to be a very plus EV defend, and I think you're picking it up. So I think uh, just for our listeners to better understand what Jonathan is talking about, in uh, uh, against much better players here, you don't want to do something really exploitative like folding jack five of clubs, but a bubble situation where maybe you're not the shorter stack, the reason you're uh, going to change your play so drastically isn't just because of ICM, but it's because of exploiting players that are going to change so drastically because of the bubble. And I think that's jo what Jonathan was getting at, and this is not one of those tournaments where you're playing with World Poker Tour champions. Right. I mean, the main reason you want to be a little bit snug on the bubble is because you don't want to find yourself in a spot where you have top pair and you just have to stack off every time. Because whenever you do call with jack five of clubs, it becomes jack seven three. We're not really folding. So um, in a non-bubble scenario, that's just fine because you have to get a hold of chips. But in a bubble situation, often you want to just avoid those spots by folding. Um, so anyway, whatever. I think calling's fine. I would certainly call every time. Flop comes... Jack, nine, five. So I have two pair with two diamonds. So I check. I don't think we need to lead here because if I lead, he can call with all sorts of stuff. And that's not really what I want. And he bets 1,200 or 12,000. So his initial preflop where he was the 16. Mm -hmm. Now he's betting 12. And I believe I had something like, I don't know, 16,000 behind or maybe 14,000 behind, something like that. So, what do you guys like at this point? Whenever he bets 12,000 into, I guess the pot was about 45 or something like that. Hold on, I just want to, I just want to get a hold of all the numbers first. Uh, Let, let's just think in terms of big blinds. Okay, he made yeah, two, so, two point one big blinds before the flop. I called. Flop comes. This jack nine five. I check. He bets one point five big blinds. I was I was thinking you had an eighteen big blind stack to start the hand. I did. Okay, so you said you have about one hundred sixty thousand behind. Let's just talk in terms of big blinds. It'll make life easier. Yeah, well. So I have, um, well, I have 17, 17 big blinds total. He made 1.5 big blind bet on the flop. All right, yeah. Okay. I, I always think in terms of big blinds anyway. I don't, I don't really think in terms of chips very often. Perfect. All right. So, you know, sort of seating ourselves at the table, uh, getting, <laughs> getting a better handle on the situation. Um, don't fold. Yeah, uh, we're not folding two pair. <laughs> I mean... So what do you what do you think this this guy's double barreling frequency is going to be? I mean, when once you call a bet, I think it's going to be pretty clear. Like, you have some piece of this. Uh, you don't have to defend that often, uh, having you know with your pot odds preflop. So, you know, do you think he's going to shut down with a lot of his overcards on the turn, or do you think he would have checked this back in the first place? It's difficult to know. I the thing is, when he bets 1.5 big blinds into the 4.8 big blind pot or whatever it is, he can justify making that tiny bet with a really large range because if the bluffs fail, it doesn't, it's not that costly. And if he ever picks up the pot with his, with his bluffs or semi-bluffs, it's a very good result for him. So I think this is a spot, given the bet size, he's probably just betting an incredibly wide range. And certainly there are some hands that make logical sense to check behind. Like we're sitting here with 10-9 you know, or something, he certainly wants to check behind for middle pair. But even then, like betting that small can't be that bad because he's given me good odds to stick around with hands at 10-9 has in bad shape. So um, I, I think he's betting a lot of stuff with this bet size. If he wants to bet larger, like say he bet 
3.8 big blinds on the flop, then I would definitely say his range is much more polarized, most likely. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. okay, go ahead, Zach. Yeah, I, I think generally this is going to be a hand that's played best as a check raise, but it, I, I guess you could you could argue that it could be close between you know check calling and check raising, but I think because of the bubble, we're going to want to be check raising more of our value hands here because it's a little bit of a higher variance play to check call some of our stronger value hands, knowing that it will be a plus EV decision in the long run against this entire range, where in the bubble here, you know, we have a lot of interest in, you know, while we want to get max value, we also don't want to lose. So getting a hand like, you know, a gut shot to fold versus like maybe double barrel or hit, uh, while we're losing a little bit of EV, uh, it, it's good for our tournament life. I, yeah, as I you're guess- saying, or go ahead. Sorry, Jack. I was just going to say, I, my, it strikes me that at this stack size, like, since we're probably, I would think introducing a little bit of variance and giving, uh, giving the cutoff a little bit more of an opportunity to make a hand that he's going to be willing to put some more chips in the pot with is going to serve us well with a hand that I can't imagine we're ever going to fold. And so, you know, if we're beat, we're beat. Uh, but I mean, for for all the hands that have gut shots, like you know, those hands are twice as likely, or maybe not quite twice as likely, but they're more likely to pick up a pair and then be able to call than they are to actually hit the gut shot. So I think I would think that this is a good spot to just flat and maybe check raise some turns or be able to make a river bet that's more likely to get called after two more cards come out. That's my hunch. Okay, so. I think given his tiny bet size, I think we probably want to raise. If he bet larger, I think we should certainly be more inclined to call. But when he bets so small with his weaker hands, assuming he has any equity, it's not like he's making that big of a mistake. Like if he bets this size, he's giving himself roughly six to one odds when he gets called. And like the, the worst hands are 10 to one or something to, to get there. So... Another problem is that there are a lot of draws available. There was a flush draw available on the flop. Mm-hmm. And I don't really want to check call flop. Turn's going to go check check a lot. And then if I just bet the river, he's going to fold if he has nothing. And if he has top pair, I win another four or five big blinds maybe. So I, I think we just want to go ahead and raise and play. A, um, I think we just want to play a big pot immediately. Because as your stack gets shorter in general like ours is here, not going broke is very important. And also not letting yourself... You just want to win the, the pot is what it amounts to. And normally that's not the case because it's fine if you get outdrawn for small and medium pots whenever you have a lot of chips because you're, like you guys said, you're, you're putting in money profitably. But I think as you get shorter, you're a little bit more inclined to not risk getting outdrawn is what it amounts to. All right. Um, so any, anyway, now the question becomes, do we raise small or do we raise big or do we go all in? And so now we want to, I think we need to look at our whole range here and ask how we would like to play our various other hands. Like how do we want to jack and how do we want to play, if we even have a jack, how do we want to play jack 10? How do we want to play 10-9? How do we want to play queen 10 and 10-8 and flush draws? What makes the most sense with all these hands on, on top of our hands? Well, I think given the fact that we feel like He's going to be raising a really, or betting a really wide range on this flop. To me, it makes more sense to raise on the smaller side. Uh, I, I think with a lot of our hands, we're going to put ourselves in an awkward spot if we, you know, raise sort of a medium amount, and we're not going to 
be thrilled about calling a shove, but we also don't want to cripple ourselves. So I would think raising small with a lot of the hands you want to continue with, especially with the philosophy that we want to win this pot a pretty high percentage of the time is going to be a good way to proceed. And then we can shove a lot of turns. That's how I would be thinking. Yeah, I I agree. I I would think that going all in must, must be, be pretty exploitative for that to be correct. Uh, And that we should definitely be check raising and, you know, we want to give ourselves a size that enable us to do so with a wider range than just kind of good draws and great value hands. So in my mind here, if I have a hand like King Jack, I'm not sure if that's good enough to check raise for value. It's pro- I mean, obviously it's fine hand to check raise for value, but I don't know if it makes logical sense. I want to look at how many draws do I actually have available here first off, and do I want to play those aggressively to start with? So um, like ace high flush draws, I'm almost certainly not going to raise because those hands are often good and we have a great price to call. So I'm probably going to be raising or wanting to raise with primarily the marginal flush draws. And also hands like 10-8 for the open-ended straight draw and queen-10. And so as I start raising with a wider range, I think the smaller raise size becomes better. But I think if my shoving range here, if, if I'm going to have a shoving range, it needs to be my very strong hands, which jack-5 falls into, and my draws that have relatively little showdown value. And... I decided to shove for that reason because if I have a hand like King Jack, I think I probably want to call, but obviously raising's fine. But then a hand like Jack 10, I think calling's just going to be much better. And it's a tough spot because I would like to raise hands like King 10 here for a gut shot. But even then, check calling with that hand is probably just okay given our opponent's small bet size. So I don't know. It's a dicey spot where, also because we are on the bubble, I really don't want to check raise small and then get called because now we're just again we're, we're giving our opponent his we're letting him realize his equity and if i do check shove here and he folds out you know king 10 it's, it's obviously that's a hand we're very far ahead of but it's not really the end of the world so um i don't know it's a tough spot where in a normal situation non-bubble situation i would be very inclined to check raise a normal size like he made it 1.5 big blinds i would make it four big blinds but here, I think it's probably okay to shove. But it's a tough spot because I'm leaving a lot of my range kind of in a, in a calling range because by check shoving this, if I want to check raise a lot of my draws, I, I need to start adding in hands like queen, ten, queen jack and jack 10 if I'm trying to be balanced. And I don't know if that's ideal. So it's a, it's a kind of a dicey spot. Mm-hmm. Is this a spot where you would consider having two... Check raise sizes? In practice, probably not. I think you could certainly develop a good strategy for that. Um, I, I guess I'm just not really a fan of the smallest check raise because whenever your opponent... I mean, your opponent's always getting a good price to call, and my opponent's competent. Right? I mean, he's not just going to be a guy who's going to be folding all the time. And I'm just having a hard time coming up with a way to play the junkier draws in a way that I'm actually happy with, especially when my opponent's giving me a very good immediate price. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's really the issue here. If you bet bigger, then yeah, we probably just need to, to either raise or fold most of our draws. But whenever he gives you such a good price, you can justify sticking around with the gut shots. The yeah. reasonable gut shots, at least. I mean, I can definitely get behind, like, calling becomes a lot more appealing with, you know, some of our gut shots with overcards and where, you know, both cards could very easily 
make the best hand. I guess coming from like a cash background, this this makes me think of, you know, like let's say playing 100 big buying stacks and I know that my opponent will never flat a four bet. And then because if I'm, my opponent's only going to ever jam or fold facing a four bet, 100 big blind stacks, I can exploitively size down and make both options a lot less appealing. Obviously, you're going to be calling a lot of your draws here, which makes it hurt. But I feel like there's a sort of similar dynamic going on where if our only raise size is all in, it's going to make us pretty easy to play against. The RD. So, or does that not make I, I, I don't necessarily think the, the guy's. Well, I don't think the guy's always going to either shove or fold when I make it four big blinds or 4.5 big blinds. I think he's certainly going to have a calling range there because now he's getting good pot odds. Oh, no, no, sorry. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you are only going to shove or fold to the. Not shove or fold. If you're well, never going to make a smaller raise and your raise size. If you're going to limit yourself to all in call or fold facing this really small bet, do you think that you know makes it very easy to play against you, or does that not matter? I don't. I don't think it's necessarily easy to play against. If I tell you my range here is Jack nine and Jack five suited and nine five suited and pocket fives, and I'm probably shoving nines preflop and Jacks preflop. Then I could also have maybe King Jack and Queen Jack, and then I have Queen 10 and 10 8 and reasonable flush draws. I mean, that's just a somewhat balanced range. So, mm -hmm. and, and no, I mean, that still leaves my calling range as pretty decent with the other jacks and also the nines and the various draws that have some equity. So I think yeah, both so ranges that were left, but the, we, have, we have our whole range, right? We have to split it in some way. And I think it's fine to split it in this manner because with the draws that have relatively little showdown value, I definitely want to maximize fold equity. And yeah, that, I think shoving accomplishes that. That makes sense. And, and just to sort of clarify my point, I'm definitely not saying like you're going to be unbalanced here. I think all of your ranges are very likely to be well-constructed and difficult to play against. But I do see like, and I don't know if this matters at this stage in a tournament or if it matters at all, but I, I do think that this strategy makes our opponent's decision fairly low risk. Sure, he'll get shoved on by a balanced range at a certain frequency, and that'll threaten a chunk of his stack. But I think if, if, if at some percentage of the time you're going to face a smaller check raise, that would, I think, put him in a lot more awkward spots at this stage. But that might not matter at all, because, I mean, really what you're saying, and I think is absolutely correct, is that our main priority is basically our own tournament life here. And the more like we are to come out of this hand with chips and probably some more chips, that's just going to be a good outcome. And we shouldn't, one, overcomplicate, and two, sabotage that goal. Yeah, I think that's sort of the overriding factor here is that I would prefer not to go broke. And clearly, if we're ever against you know, pocket nines or something, we're just going broke every time. So... We also want to look at this from our opponent's point of view, though. Imagine you bet here 1.5 blinds and your opponent shoves. I did not know my opponent, right? So I assumed he was a reasonable player, but I didn't know the guy, right? So I didn't really know what he, if he was going to make certain assumptions about me. I think if you take most generic poker players in the spot against someone like myself, they're going to assume my range is very draw-heavy when I check shove. And if that's the case, maybe we all of a sudden get this guy to start hero-calling us with all sorts of made hands that we crush. 
if, do you feel like you have enough shove? Way? Whereas if maybe that will induce him to just try to get closer to showdown in a small pot with his hands like ten nine. Well, if that's your read on the sort of yeah type of player this guy is going to be, then you know this is a, obviously a check raise shove, and I think it's going to be by far your best option. The thing is, is that whenever I'm trying to assess someone's tendencies, I do not necessarily know with any certainty what he's going to be doing. But at the same time, some point in time he's going to think. Right. And if you think that percentage is going to be high based on your sort of general experience with the field, then I really like this line. What information do you have to kind of make this, you know, somewhat or very exploitive read on this player that he might make a lot of hero calls uh, and if you don't, if you were just kind of throwing it out there as an idea, what is the type of information that you're looking for uh, when like constructing, you know, a range this way? I mean, it's nice whenever you have some. Um, it's nice whenever you have some information about what your opponent's going to do. I really didn't know much about this player, but I thought he was probably just raising reasonable ranges. So I didn't think he was overly loose, and I thought that when he's raising here, it's going to be mostly big cards, which you know connects okay with Jack Nine something. Jack 9-5. Mm-hmm. Um, suited aces, which are not going to put much money in the pot anyway, besides the flush draws, of course. And the pairs, which, if he has a pair like pocket sixes, he's not going to put any more money in the pot unless he improves to beat me. So his range to continue versus any raise at this point is going to be top pairs, over pairs, maybe middle pairs, and gut shots, or an open-ended straight draws. So I think if you look at the range, it should be relatively strong in terms of hands that can continue, especially versus a small raise. And um, versus a big raise, the hands that we're making fold are hands that are getting roughly the right price to continue versus a small raise anyway. Like king-queen, for example. I don't care if king-queen folds. Obviously, you'd rather, like, if he'll just go all in with king-queen, you're thrilled. But you don't know, you don't know what the guy has, right? And yeah. Is there an argument, Jonathan, for maybe picking a, a raise size that's, you know, bigger than a small raise size but not all in? So he he's betting like one point five big blinds into four big blinds. Could you consider making like a a five and a half or six big blind raise here? Well he's betting one point five into let's think about this. So he made it two point two or two point one, so that's four point two plus half from a small blind, so it's four point seven plus let's say six small six relatively big antes. So it's probably 5.2 big blind pot. So okay. betting 1.5 into 5.2. If I check raise, so let's say 6, I now have only 11 behind or so. And I, I just don't really know what the purpose of that raise yeah. size is because he's probably stacking off versus that with his good hands that he would have just gotten it all in with. And if he calls with a hand like jack 10 on the flop in the terms of you know, any diamond, right, to complete putting a flush on board, he probably will not stack off at this point whereas he would just put the whole stack immediately on the flop. Yeah, I mean, that's really a problem here, is that we're going to have a hard time getting full value from his hands like top pairs and maybe even over pairs and hands like pocket tens and ace nine that would put it all in immediately on the flop, but will get cautious if the turn completes an obvious draw. And if, it, if the turn completes an obvious draw, like let's say it's whatever, any, any diamond, like an eight of diamonds or seven diamonds, ten of diamonds, that's a really bad card for me because that improves a lot of his range, and now all of a sudden I'm not happy to get my money in. I mean, I would, but I'm not loving it. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 yeah. Main, the main advantage of that type of raise size is a raise size where you could plausibly fold to a re-raise. 
because if if you if you don't that that's the main advantage it's such that like he'll be calling you lighter than just top pair and he also then you give him the ability to three bet the flop light i think so if i'm going to do that i want to have more check raise bluffs in my range that mm-hmm. i'm not happy enough getting it in with and with a hand like 10 8 obviously you're not happy getting it in but if you make it uh, you know uh, if we, if we are getting roughly I don't know what price we'll be getting. Maybe two and a half to one to call off at this point. It's nearly break even. Chip EV. Obviously, we're going to fold because because we're on the bubble, but I think we would just rather maximize fold equity. So I don't know. It's, it's a tough spot. Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I think with, all with the race sizes have, have viability here. Yeah, I think, I think with the, the hands you're describing, you know, it's more attractive to go all in. What, what I'm suggesting is, is raising a, a much wider range to six big blinds. Yeah, and that's so gotcha that's that, you, a, that you could fold to a, to a re-raise. I, I think the issue here is that the opponent's range in my mind is at least decently strong, and he should have something on this board a lot of the time. Yeah, well, I, I think if 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 you're going to be making that assumption based off the the 1.5 big blind bet, which I, I'm not sure I feel as comfortable making, but then yeah. Well, no, no, no. Uh, I'm making the assumption ver- uh, because his initial cutoff opening range should be strong, given. He has two relatively aggressive players in the blinds, mm-hmm. so he, yeah. he can't just he can't just justify opening a ton because he knows I'm capable of shoving somewhat wide, and the guy in the small blinds, the guy you just don't mess with, um, and so I think that's really the the limiting factor on his range. I'm not reading in, into his 1.5 big blind bet at all, which maybe I should read into that, but I I am not necessarily reading into that in terms of thinking that makes his range stronger or weaker. If anything, that makes his range just more of his preflop raising range. But I think the preflop yeah. raising range should connect well on Jack 9-5. So we always do something called a podcast breakdown. Basically, we write an article on our blog where we use software to try and better answer the questions that get brought up on the podcast than we can just do offhand. I, I'm pretty sold on the all-in sizing, but I'm just curious, if we did raise to like four and a half big blinds, do you think he's going to be folding hands like sixes through eights? Uh, maybe, probably not tens ever uh, to that sizing. But well, with those middling pocket pairs, how do you think he's going to respond to a small check raise? I think he'll probably fold. I mean, those hands are almost certainly drawing very thin. And when they're not, when they're ahead, I always have a decent amount of equity. And they're going to have a tough time continuing on various turns anyway. So I, I think those hands should almost certainly fold. It also sounds like those are hands that he's probably checking back. So. Uh, yeah, I think, well, I think it's reasonable to check those. But even then, he could bet small with hand like pocket sixes and then fold to a check raise. It's, I think it's okay. Yeah, I mean, if we're not expecting him to have hands like sixes through raids or, I don't know, I, I don't know if we're going to put ace king in a similar category or if he's going to be opening all the pairs. I, I, I was, I was sort of coming to the impression that he was going to see that probably his entire range for the sizing. Do you think that's off base? Yeah, I, I think it's close. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, he, if he's continuation betting quite wide. I mean, maybe he checks back some of the nines. If he's checking back some hands, it may be some of the nines, and that's about it. But really, the nines are going to be ace-nine suited, king-nine suited, queen-nine suited, and ten-nine suited, right? And maybe nine-eight suited. So there, just aren't, there shouldn't be that many. Mm-hmm. I'm doing some analysis on my computer right now. And I'm thinking, looking at this, he's probably going to stick around versus our check raise about 40% of the time, which sounds quite high. Yeah, yeah so that's really, true. That sounds great. You should be folding some, some jacks here. 
I, I don't think he's going to fold any jack to a check shot because the jacks in his range are going to be just jack 10 and better. Right, but, I mean, his ranges are so strong that, like, he probably should fold some of those. Well, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a tough spot to be in. And, I, I, I mean, if you're putting me in his shoes, I don't think I'm folding any jack. And I'm probably calling with, if, like, if I bet ace nine, I think I'm probably just calling here given all the draws are available. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's a crappy spot to be in for sure. But yeah, so somewhere between 30% and like 45% of his range is going to be calling a check shove in my mind. And now we are only losing to, well, Jack's, Jack 9 and, well, clearly hands that are obviously available. Yeah, so, um, sure. And, and that's just because his preflop raising range is all of the big cards, and all of the big cards start with something reasonable. And there's all the Jacks are available. And I, I, I mean, actually, let me include my blocker. I didn't include my blocker. I'm sorry. Jack of clubs, five of clubs. That's going to change things. So now we're at um, the lowest number. No, lowest number is going to be about 27% of the time he's going to call. So it's going to be probably between 27 and 35%. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. We, pay, we win the pot immediately, maybe 65% of the time or 75% of the time. And when we get called, we're obviously going to be in fine shape. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I think this is probably good. But who knows? You guys, you guys run the numbers and tell me the right answer. <laughs> we'll do our best. All right. Well, I'm ready for the results. I don't know about you, Zach. Oh, results. Yes, I forgot about those. I shoved, and he called very quickly, and he had jack nine, so I was out. Yeah. So he flopped top, he flopped top two, and I had the top and bottom. And like I said, I'm never, I'm not, we're obviously stacking off here every time in that spot. Yeah. Um, given he has jack nine in his range, I didn't even think he would have jack nine offsuit in the opening range. Let's actually add in some more hands. So he's going to call this. I was running this on my end real quick. So now we're rough, roughly the same because he's probably opening ace nine, king nine, queen nine if he's opening jack nine. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and he'll also have eight ten offsuit. I mean, he'll, he'll have a lot, a lot of hands here now. He'll have uh, jack ten offsuit, maybe even as weak as jack eight offsuit. Well, so I, I don't know if you can extrapolate downwards because yeah. jack eight is way better than jack nine. Certainly he's going to have jack ten, and I already had jack ten included. Uh-huh. But... um. I, I don't think you can say he's going to open like king seven offsuit all of a sudden because he's opening jack nine. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just saying that he could now have some combos of jack eight because if he has jack nine offsuit, like that could very well be the exact bottom of the range, but it makes it more likely that it is not the square bottom of the range, right? Right, of course. But I mean, it, by the same point, he could have jack six offsuit because he's not openly opening only non nut hands. It's like how far do you take it? And if you're trying to really analyze it, you would wait it one way or the other. But um, yeah, yeah, I think I, I, I think you take I think it a little nine, bit farther. Is is all I'm expressing. 